Hello. <coughs> Wait a second. Not a COVID stuff. Hello. <laughs> and welcome to the Comedians Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to intriguing, fascinating, and luxurious people with many stories and fascinating tales that will inspire comedians like you and me to chase the comedy dream on our own terms. Now, today's guest is a combination of a lot of different things. He is, uh, you see how I'm a mixed race man of being Irish and Chinese, which is rice and chips. He is like that with busking and stand up. For some reason, he's been able to put them into a fantastic dish. You know, if you like fish and chips with tartar sauce, that is what he, what Chris Knight does. <laughs> he is an incredible busker and an incredible stand-up comic who you're going to absolutely love. Please welcome Chris Knight. Thank you for that wonderful, wonderful warm welcome. Um, and I have quit comedy to be a uh, fish and chip manga uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> is, what, what, what's a good Australian dish? Um, look, it probably is fish and chips. Um, the uh, I'm I'm right I'm in Adelaide just right now for this one day or two, and the Adelaide meal is um, a pie floater, which is the quintessential Australian British combo. It's because um, uh, Adelaide was settled pre-settled, not settled by convicts at all, and they want everyone to know that. Uh, so they they have uh, a pie floater is a Aussie meat pie, sat in a bowl of mushy peas. <laughs> British and Australian and um yeah and the <laughs> and it it's it's so uh well beloved that uh, Adelaide bakeries are open for 24 hours um in a lot of places <laughs> just so you can get it at any time of the day everything else closes at you know 6 or 9 p.m <laughs> why is it called a pie float it doesn't sound right but yeah it does not no no <laughs> English food though there's a few things that don't sound right as well like toad in the hole toad in the hole um spotted dick black pudding um and bangers and mash all slightly risque aren't they (laughs) carry carry on they're just made for carry on jokes yeah (laughs) they sound like something you would say to say to someone as an as a subtle innuendo or something well i i I don't but some people probably would but i could imagine someone say what their love do you fancy a bit of bangers and mash? You just respond with, ooh, matron. <laughs> matron. <laughs> uh, uh, I forgot to tell you when we were uh, yeah, getting acquainted, I was, uh, I was born in the UK. I was born in um, Bristol and uh, lived there for quite a while and did my high school uh, in uh, Wooten Under Edge in Gloucestershire and then my parents were Aussie and they moved back and I moved to uh, they moved to Victoria in Australia and that's when I moved to Adelaide <laughs> um, oh. there's I mean technically what's it called Australia it, it is there is there's a lot of mixing in it and it, it, yeah I heard, heard that with Danny McGinley he's Glaswegian and Australian it's yeah it's uh it's not the same thing as in america where every american and every american comedian has to open with here's my 
you know, ethnicity and here's, you know, two to five jokes about this or a whole set about just my, you know, where I come from in the world. <laughs> and then you sort of go, oh, wow. So they you know, recently immigrated and then you realize now that all Americans, this is like, you know, fourth, fifth generation, They're like I'm Irish. I'm so Irish. You're like, wow, um, when was the last time you were in Ireland? Like, I've never been. My father's never been. My grandfather's never been. But my great-great-grandfather's from Ireland. So I'm Irish. I think the key question is, where is it on the map, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Northwest of Ukraine. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> but what's left of it so far? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, let's hope let's not get into it because this is not no, a let's live, stop um, stop <laughs> podcast. It's it is already too soon. <laughs> I don't I don't know anything about it, what's going on. I don't know, you know, it's 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 not a nice thing unless leave it. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, um let's change topic and, now. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um so, <laughs> yeah. That, that wonderful segue. So just like in Russia, how did you start in the comedy and joke busting? <laughs> so um, I started uh, I started in comedy well before uh, yeah uh, turning to busking, which was an act of desperation. Um, uh, I started in comedy because I was working um, at a door knocking firm in in Adelaide. My, I just sort of rocked up here. Uh, that's the thing we say in Australia: rocked up. It gives a sort of pizzazz to arrived. Um, and I basically fell entirely for a scam company that was not paying me a wage, but was just paying me to, to get contracts for electricity. But all the people who were there were really interesting and fun. And I really enjoyed going around and talking to people. And my uh, <laughs> one of my workmates was someone called Beck Hill, um, who... I don't know if you know, um, if you've ever seen an amazing uh, human being with a, a sketchboard behind her doing amazing, amazing flip charts and things like that. Um, yeah, well, she was entering raw comedy, I think, um, yeah, for the second year or, or something like that. Um, and uh, we bantered at work. Uh, you know, her and, and our other workmates. And I was like, yeah, this is fun. I can keep up with these people. I'm, I'm a pretty funny person. And then she went on to get like um, all the way to the finals, uh, the national finals. Um, and uh, someone she beat in the South Australia finals won the whole thing overall. So it was sort of like a, a wild card sort of topping at the, at the last minute. And that person was Hannah Gadsby. Oh. So... I started, before I'd even started comedy, I thought, uh, <laughs> I guess naively, that I was probably about as funny as, you know, Beck Hill or Hannah Gadsby, because, you know, we can banter and, and chat, <laughs> the same kind of thing. And that was my first experience watching live comedy, was watching all those raw heats. Um, and uh, the great thing about watching heats of like a raw comedy competition is that most of it is awful. And it gives you this amazing confidence of like, well, I think I'm better than probably 75% of these people, definitely. <laughs> and then about a year or two later, I decided to actually enter the competition and did not get very far <laughs> myself um, and kept, kept trying after a few years. Um, 
I think I got to the, the state finals uh, or semi-finals and then I was like, ah. <laughs> um, but she basically encouraged me, just like, here's some things you can do. Grab a notebook. Every time you find something that's funny, write it down, even if it, it's not that funny and just carry it everywhere. So I started doing that and writing down everything I thought was funny and found, yeah, a good one to 5% of everything I wrote down was potentially good um, and started doing stand-up in the Adelaide scene. My first raw gig was really shaky. Um, I'm not one of those people that just immediately was like, ah, oh, I'm good at comedy. I hoped I would be, but I wasn't. Um, but enough of the jokes got a good laugh and the feeling was so uh, intoxicating that I thought, I, I do definitely want to do this again. This is hard work and I need to work hard at it. <laughs> Oops. It's uh, my first gig ever was like, uh, yeah, a competition gig uh, in which I had invited no one that I knew um, because I was just too, I was like, I need to prove this to myself that this is something I can do. Beck had already moved to Melbourne, even she was gone. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was like, yeah, no, this is actually really good. And it's kind of like a drug and I want more of it. And then the promoter of Adelaide Comedy um, is just a very lovely guy called Craig Egan. And he just sort of goes up to everyone who has like that spark in their eyes of like, I really like this. And it's like, do you want to do comedy? Here's my, here's my number. Give me, a, give me a call. I'll see if I can fit you in for a gig. Uh, somewhere down the road so then my next second gig ever was like a couple of months <laughs> later <laughs> yeah um that slowly got the ball ball rolling mm. uh, and that is quite a, quite an established names i mean they're they're two of the greatest comics that have come out of australia aren't they yeah so i think um and uh my other, other claim to fame was uh centrelink our job provider sort of um system in Australia my um uh job provider person that I was always in contact with um was absolutely lovely and I, and I was always trying to explain like yeah I don't want to do a job that works nights because I do want to do you know stand up but I, I've got to find these things you know but I've got to keep ticking these boxes and she was like it's fine I understand um one of my older clients was a guy called Adam Hills have you heard of him <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah, I don't think I'm quite walking in his uh, foot, footsteps or footstep as you would, <laughs> but uh, uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, Adelaide is a small place. So if there is someone in comedy from or around Adelaide, um, yeah, people bump in. And Australia is a small place too. Yeah, when it comes to uh, the Fringe Festival, Adelaide Fringe, um, or the Melbourne Comedy Festival, people are just bumping into each other all the time you can you know go to the artist bar and rub shoulders or over here or um be weird to someone that you've uh, idolized for years um and then regret it the next day immediately <laughs> um yeah but it's a it's a pretty small small scene um with uh not much uh hope of of a higher sort of plane of, of existence probably the, the most um, yeah, popular sellout, uh, every crowd that they have comedians in Australia, like the best that they can hope for is like hosting some kind of ABC show 
maybe a panel show about something. It's not, um, there's no Live at the Apollo kind of track. There's no um, TV talk show. I think they're dying anyway <laughs> around oh, the yes. world. <laughs> it's definitely happening. I mean, a lot of people are getting their base through YouTube. I've seen quite a few yeah. Australian comics get famous through online like, mm. videos and all that. Mm. And the, the world is becoming such a fractured, splintered place that you can figure out what your kind of favourite comedy is and then you can list, like, you know, a, a real comedy nerd punter could be like, yeah, here's my favourite 10 comedians and they'll list, like, 10 people, one of which you've heard of and they all live in different countries. You know, they're addicted to their podcast or their TikTok stream or something like that. Um, and I think that's until something else happens i think that's the way everything's going in this kind of weird splintered way but that's my that's my opinion and uh i'm uh not established um i'm, I'm not a name i'm not anything so i think um it's good to have people like me on i know you had danny mcginlay on a couple of podcasts ago um and i'm the counterpoint of the, the comedian that that hasn't really made it <laughs> so you can learn what not to do. Uh, I think um, too many times we learn important lessons from people who have succeeded. Everyone wants to hear what Elon Musk has to say, but what about uh, all the people with failed businesses? Surely they have much more to teach us about what not to do. Are you saying that you should have someone just watch every move of failed businesses to see what not yeah. to do? Yeah, yeah, just like someone who's failed so many times and just have them be like, here's what I think about things. And, and you just go, aha, uh -huh, okay, that's all wrong. Good, good, good. <laughs> so um... <laughs> I, I don't want to sound like, uh, what's it called, one of those wishy-washy people. Because you, you know how someone says when you say like uh, a bad thing or something and someone says something that makes completely no um, sense in a thing to try and cheer you up or whatever. But one one <laughs> yeah. of the things one of the things that I want to say on that is that I find that in comedy sometimes that people try and oh because you haven't done this you haven't done that people say and I'm going to define you as this because you haven't achieved that but like you're letting other people dictate what success is or whatever that's true and that that's I'll, one I'll, of the yeah <laughs> but the thing I was saying on that is I think. Um, I don't, as I've been doing, I've been doing comedy a while as well. I mean, when you first start, I think a lot of us do have this thing, oh, the lights or whatever. We we all yeah. have that, I think. But yeah. I think as you do it later and it gets beaten out of you. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> no, no, not, not that bad. But I'm saying, yeah. um, I think your focus changes a bit. So one of the big things for me, I'm not going to say it too much because I know I've got a lot. One of the things I think that is also true in whatever you do in life, Forget your friends listening in or trying to follow or whatever. But people that don't like you are the first to listen in or try and like watch what you're doing. Yeah. But I think one of the things I could do in this podcast is that you do things your own way. So yeah. one of the things about 100%. that is I'm focusing on trying to find a way of doing comedy on my terms. Like I love that part of your um your blurb, your spiel. Um, doing comedy on your terms because I mean honestly the truth if I look at my life um, I, I met my wife through through comedy um, she came to a gig 
um, uh, I have yeah had some very good work through comedy and the current job that I do I wouldn't have gotten at all if it wasn't for uh, comedy um, yeah which is performing um, shows for kids <laughs> um, in theatre and education shows around um, schools and kinders and that kind of thing like I would not have got that and I think um, the idea of what success is is um, you know it's different uh, you know 10 years down the track from where you started maybe you had that five-year plan and you met a few of those goals or all of those goals but sometimes you look down the path and think that's where I'm going to end up and you end up the other place and that can be success as well it's just not it's as long as it's on your terms which I love about your blurb <laughs> but that, that, one of the things that you, it used to actually get me a bit down sometimes when I used to see comics do a bit better and then some of them would try and rub it in and then say I think you're not good then you should think that you're not good as well or I think you're <laughs> this or that and it's a bit like no you, you, shove it up your ass um, <laughs> what's it called um, like in some of the cases that I see you're, you're just like everything I've seen before you're doing okay yes but you're not a big name you're not a full-time pro comic you're not killing every gig you do like you're not original so like what, what's the point in all this like and you're just a person to me as well like it's just because yeah. you're good at comedy doesn't make you better than yeah me. yeah um that that attitude is um actually not very much <laughs> not, not too much uh in in australia which is which is a good thing um partly because there's not that club circuit there's not uh, a hierarchy of success um and partly because of the festival um, aspect of, of comedy kind of makes everyone not quite have the same level playing field, but there is this kind of leveling feel. Like a comedian who has done, you know, 10 gigs uh, can in, in Adelaide or Melbourne or, or actually just about every major city now has a festival of some kind. Uh, yeah, uh, can just write an hour of material and make a festival show. And they'll be performing in the same festival guide as, you know, uh, Will Anderson or Adam Hills or whoever else, <laughs> uh, or, or big international names that come over. Yeah. What would what you say from, <clears throat> I don't know much about Australia or, or the city mm. or country at all, but I, what I always hear about Australians, you guys are a bit more relaxed, but also sometimes you're a bit more brutal with your honesty. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I heard um, Danny uh, talking about uh, uh, Cole, Cole Chandler. Yes. Um, room runner. Um, yeah. It is just like, if he, it, <laughs> If you are in like the, the green room with Kyle Chandler and he doesn't uh, insult you in some way in passing, um, then that probably means he hates you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how a lot of Aussies show, uh, show warmth. Um, not all comedians sort of do that. That's a particular kind of, kind of style. But um, yeah, there is a kind of, kind of brutal honesty in, in a lot of ways I think yeah all of the the people I did uh comedy with in Adelaide most of whom have since moved to Melbourne uh we get on uh kind of by we call it sledging 
um, <laughs> you know, just just saying awful things. And in fact, I think one of your questions um, was like, what are those things that sound like compliments um, that people say when you leave the stage that are actually insults? And they're the kinds of things that we say to each other as <laughs> when someone's left the stage and just like, oh, that was that was really brave of you, you know, that <laughs> making Whoa. those choices up there on stage. Oh, that was so brave. Oh, I wish I was as brave enough to go up with, you know, as little as you have. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, one, one time I did that at um at a gig and I'd been out of um out of state for a while so there'd sort of been a few new newer comedians building up and they didn't actually know who I was and I they didn't know that I was sort of like in the in the scene and it was hosted by my friend Dave Campbell and uh he and I did and Dave loves wrestling so he and I worked out this like thing where I would start insulting him from stage uh from the stage as I back announced him um, and then he would start shouting at me I'd start shouting at him. And then as we went into the break, we would like get into a tussle and have a fight down the down the aisle. And no one would know if it was real or not. And unfortunately it worked really well. And um, some of the younger comedians were like, ah, oh, look, we don't actually feel like this is a good safe space. This isn't actually comfortable. <laughs> and, and Dave and I had to like come clean at the next bracket and explain to the crowd that this had been a bit and <laughs> yeah I you know I started insulting his uh his jokes <laughs> from stage I was like no they're really good jokes you know if you like that kind of thing you well, know they're no you know it's you know not not clever but uh if the audience likes it that's good and then Dave starts shouting out you know what are you talking about not clever oh what about your joke <laughs> anyway it was uh uh, I love those moments where you just do something to try it and um, <laughs> and see if it works. And it's fun. It's fun when it doesn't work, and it's amazing when it does work. Uh, that yeah. one didn't work. <laughs> it's good to have, it's good to try different things. That's more fun rather than just doing yeah. the tried and tested. I find it one thing that I mean, I <clears throat> when I do the comedy, I'm sounding daft when I, when I do the what kind of sentence is that no when I'm doing a set I, I i i don't know a lot of people they when they're doing a new material like they'll sandwich in their best bits and the best at yep. the beginning and end i mean i'm not i find that very boring I, i'm okay yep. with just putting completely new material out there and i don't think i could do the same material for years and years it's at the start and end of the set i think after two or three years i get a little bit fed up of it I remember I've got yeah. one joke on like um, street performing and like going to Speaker's Corner. Um, yeah. Do you know Speaker's Corner? Yeah, I know of it. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a place. Uh, it's supposed, yes, freedom of speech in some yes. place in Hyde Park and everyone goes up there. Do you have that in Australia? Um, no, we, in Adelaide, we have Rundle Mall, which is uh, just they walk up and down Rundle Mall and do whatever they want. Um, and in Melbourne, we have the uh, Burke Street Mall, <laughs> which is basically the, the same kind of thing, but they're a bit more strict. Um, there's more police in Victoria, so the, um, um, <laughs> they crack down on. But there's, there's yeah, plenty of that. It's yeah, yeah it's it's quite. A, it was quite a scary experience, and I made a joke on it. And I don't know for whatever reason, 
the last couple of years, I've just said it so many times now, it's completely died on me. And I think I'll, yeah. I'm not going to say it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, on the flip side, um, Adelaide, and I think each city in Australia has different uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, I think Sydney is probably the place you would go if you want to be uh, a working comedian who gets paid um, and learns how to deal with that kind of more of a club crowd uh, quickly. Uh, Melbourne is sort of where you go, where you can kind of hedge your bets a little bit and do that kind of thing, but also go on a you know, bunch of dive bars and um, upstairs and downstairs basements in pubs and try out things that, um, yeah, kind of more hipster, uh, younger crowd is into. Uh, and Adelaide is sort of where if you're a weirdo, just be that weirdo and Adelaide will accept you because the, the crowds in Adelaide are great. They get the Adelaide Fringe, which is the you know, biggest, best comedians in the world. So they are good comedy audiences. And then the rest of the year, there's nothing. So the ones that do come along to comedy are like, you know, the best audiences that you can possibly have. Um, uh, or, or if you're uh, too self-indulgent, like maybe I am, and love that meta comedy, uh, maybe that's bad for you because they indulge to that side. <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the things with that, I mean, one of, and one of the big questions that I got you on the podcast is like, do you do both? Like you do street performing and comedy at the festivals? Because yeah. I remember I tried yeah. it. And I got a couple of comedians on, and they absolutely shitted themselves in the, this the street performing. And yeah. I've done street performing a few times, but I don't know. It's so more, much more terrifying than straight stand up. And yeah. it's, I thought it was more free flowing than stand up, but I'd say it's even more scripted and well rehearsed well, than stand up. My, my particular type of, um, of jerk busking. Um, it's basically, it was getting to that, um, this point where I was, you know, I'd done five or so uh, festival shows, but sort of wasn't getting any um, steam uh, rolling or traction or inertia breaking. Um, and I was getting a bit frustrated. I was thinking about moving to Melbourne anyway. And then, um, and I was also out of work. And I was like, why is uh, comedy writing an impossible job? in Australia you know, like there's you know maybe a dozen uh comedy writer jobs um you know at all at any point um and then I thought well what if I created that job for myself <laughs> I can write jokes I think I can write jokes um what if I just wrote jokes on the street uh for spare change and I had a, a typewriter um and I had <laughs> this idea I got some, you know, uh, brown paper because it's sort of more uh, hipster looking than white paper. Um, it was sort of like thicker stock um, so people can take the thing that I give them. Um, and it also feels like it's maybe worth more <laughs> so they might pay me more. Um, and I got the idea from the, the Richard Linklater movie Before Sunrise I'd seen. Uh, have you seen that movie or the trilogy? Um, it's uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy just having this free form flowing conversation and that's the movie. Um, they basically have this long conversation and they do that three times in that trilogy of movies. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, but in, I think the first one, they are passing by, I think the, the Danube River and this weird guy like 
who looks like in the movie, he looks a lot like I looked at the time, like kind of scrawny and a little scraggly, shaggy um, from Scooby-Doo kind of beard and tousled hair. And he like sort of lurches out of the darkness where he's been writing in um, uh, notebooks with like candles next to him. And he's like, would you like a poem? <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. Uh, he's like, give me a word and I'll give you a poem. And he, they give him the word, I think milkshake. And then he comes and writes this amazing poem uh, with the word milkshake in it. And Julie Delpy's like, wow, that's amazing. And Ethan Hawke's like, yeah, he probably had like that poem and he just puts the word in here and there. And she's like, isn't that amazing? And he's like, yeah, okay, it's amazing. Anyway, I figured if you can do that with poetry, which I think is probably harder to write good poetry at a pinch, a joke, at least for me, uh, I thought oh, I'd do that. So I get people to ask me a word, uh, just give me a word suggestion and I'll form it into a, a joke. And then because they do that, <laughs> the jokes end up being absolutely awful dad joke, Christmas cracker puns. <laughs> um, but they're handcrafted, you know, I might do a slight typo um, on the typewriter or something and you can see that it happened like in the moment they can watch me make it. Um, and I thought it would be pretty fun and I thought that it would be as rewarding for me as like a cool uh, comedy writing career or at least a good stop gap of something to do with my time. Um, but I found like it's, uh, it's a mixture of like monotony, boredom of nothing happening and people just walking by and, and rejection <laughs> and um, and then like hard brain work that just hurts your head because you're thinking of how to contort these words into some form of joke. And you're just like, please, please, someone just give me a bit of appreciation. So it was just like regular comedy, <laughs> as heartbreaking and difficult, uh, yet with the moments of sunshine um, that I had. So I basically, I was looking back at my timeline I stopped doing it in about 2016. It's like the last gig that I, that I booked. Because uh, I, I started booking some gigs um, for corporate events. Um, like a bank would, would be like, yeah, we've got some team builder exercise. And um, I figure while everyone's going around the tables getting finger food, they might like to get some jokes as well. So I set myself up in a, in a hall and do that. Um, but yeah, I did that from about 2014 to 2016 off and on uh, and just found it very, very hard. But um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I was diagnosed about three months ago with uh, ADHD and it explains a lot about my comedy career. Um, I thought I was going to be, um, uh, at the time I started stand-up, I was studying for a Bachelor of Ministry. Uh, then I got that degree and then I did a bachelor of um and then a master's of creative writing <laughs> instead basically a completely different path of, of of life uh then after getting into stand-up I started yeah doing this busking thing and then I moved to Melbourne and I thought I'd do the busking um but I did one uh one more festival show that was uh you know very quite quite tricky to do in a brand new uh city and instead of just sort of starting there and building up I then switched over to, to doing improv classes, uh, learning how to do improv, <laughs> falling in love with that. Uh, and then just as I was sort of getting um, my feet with that, 
I, uh, I had a child. <laughs> and then uh, just as my child was sort of getting used to being a uh, as I was getting used to being a parent, uh, the pandemic hit. Um, so <laughs> basically, uh, yeah, I haven't done stand up for about a, a year. Um, and I haven't done improv for quite a few months on live on stage. Um, but I, I haven't, I haven't quit. I haven't, you know, um, but I have done my, um, you know, my, my day job, which is comedy. Like there is comedy in the shows that we do. Um, and I do that. Yeah. Pretty much, uh, on a daily basis <laughs> once, uh, once the school term gets going. Um, and so I've performed in front of uh, kids uh, to do comedy, which, so I think what I've, what I've uh, if I really look back though, apart from ADHD being a thing that has driven me, um, I think choosing things that are terrifying, I think a lot of people would say performing on the street is scary. Performing improvised material from nothing is scary. Performing in front of children is scary. I think every every avenue of comedy that I can find that is is scary. Oh, I've also forgot I um uh, through comedy I got the the job of being an MC at a um uh, um pop uh, pop culture comic convention um as well. So I've managed to interview uh, all kinds of uh, crazy huge people and very uh, weird, odd people um, in the um, com comic convention circuit uh, as well through comedy. So comedy's given me quite a lot. <laughs> um, it's just that all those like stops and starts make it feel like, uh, like each one is a, a, a dead end while they haven't actually been dead ends. I think they've all been little springboards that have moved me into a different place. Yeah, well, you said something that was quite interesting there with, yeah, stopping and starting. Yeah, it's all, it is funny, isn't it? Like, momentum is a big thing. Like I've seen with, yeah. like, tennis players with Andy Murray and Nadal, when they get injured, it's like they have to rebuild back who, where they were, but also other people are getting better. So you have to be it, better it than you It does feel were. like that. What's great about the pandemic, uh, <laughs> which... Uh, is a good start to any sentence, isn't it? Um, uh, is what's great about the, the pandemic, in a, in a kind of dark sense for a lot of comedians, is that while everyone has been held back, it's kind of been everyone that's been held back. So, for most of at least twenty twenty, I think that was helping me because uh, as a you know new parent. Um, there's a lot of FOMO that happens if you're a you know comedian who's also a, a parent. Man, I'm you know stuck here. There's not so much that I can do. I can't go further. I can't spend as out you know uh, gigging around or even just hanging out with uh, comedians the way I used to. Um, you know, feel rusty. And then like the pandemic hits, and you're like, well, actually, now everyone is. But <laughs> Uh, that's not entirely true now. Things are opening up. And so it's really a case of, uh, I was actually talking to someone the other night. My um, my brother got into stand-up while I was in uh, the improv phase and he was learning improv. And then, uh, you know, I was following him. <laughs> and he was like, I'm going to start stand-up. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, I was very proud of him because he's doing uh, great. He's really being true to himself. I took a while to discover 
what kind of comedian I am. And he seems to have gotten the hang of it much quicker than I did, much quicker. Um, and part of that, I think, is the acting and improv that he's had in his background. Um, that confidence, like stage presence and confidence, you know, from, from no stage presence, from no uh, uh, ability on stage, and then just starting comedy, it's a, quite a hard slog. But if you've got some kind of theatrical background, it gives you such a good kick uh, and boost. I forgot what the sentence was, uh, <laughs> what, what, where I was actually going with that, but um, <laughs> you're yeah, saying, you're saying. Uh, oh, that's right, the pandemic uh, holding everyone back. I, I was talking to a friend at a night that my brother um, has just kicked off uh, running. Um, they said that everyone's match fitness is kind of lacking right now, at least in Australia, because people haven't really been performing. Zoom comedy is just not quite, even if they've been performing that, they'd be a bit fitter than other people. And it is like a sport. It, it really is like the audience might not be able to tell quite, um, but this gig uh, that I went to was like, you know, a lot of people's first gig back after months or for some, like, you know, the whole pandemic, they're performing. And there's this sort of level of like everyone's stage confidence is, is uh, shaken a little bit. Like the people who are a bit more um, uh, seasoned in comedy who were who performing that night, I noticed like, were a bit unsure of the material and the audience, even in that seasonedness. And then the people who hadn't, you know, progressed that much and were trying out their material were like really like, oh, I don't know how this is going. But the good thing is that, you know, at this point, everyone who's coming to see comedy is an incredibly warm audience because they too have been starved of seeing live comedy. So um, while everyone's scared and rusty, it's this time where um, the audiences are pretty forgiving and giving. Yeah. That's, that sounds, yeah, that, that's just let it all out, isn't it? They're ready to let out all the annoyance and boom. Yeah. Yeah. What sport would you say in particular represents comedy? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's tricky. Um, uh, I think, yeah, as you were chatting with Danny, um, <laughs> I was listening to that podcast and um, I was remarking on how funny it is that you have so you somehow picked the most intersports stand-up comedian in Australia, I believe, I think. <laughs> um, there's no one more into sports uh, <laughs> I could think of the top of my head than Danny McGinley. And now I'm like, every other comedian is like, uh, they were a nerd, they were bullied in high school um, for not being uh, sporty, which isn't 100% true. Uh, there's There's some sporty comedians these days but um so I, I would say I don't actually know the sport but I'd say uh chess boxing uh I don't know I haven't actually watched a chess boxing match but I reckon um the fact that it's a it's a mental game uh you you're constantly thinking uh, but then you're also being forced to just you know uh fight like an idiot um and get that that very brain that you're using uh, to think of all these jokes uh, kind of like knocked around and made a little bit silly. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, comedy's, uh, stand-up stand -up is more like tennis in that it's solo. Um, 
uh, busking incredibly <laughs> solo. There's not even an audience <laughs> most of the time. Doing the, the kind of um, stand up with a, a microphone and a speaker, you know, getting an audience in that way. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty, uh, pretty nerve wracking too. But yeah, I think uh, comedians are quite solo. We're getting into that improv scene, um, which is a, a really good scene in Melbourne um, that's just sort of kicked up in the last. Uh, I don't know, probably slow uh, decade, not not long, um, where it's really started to to gain some momentum and have some shows in the uh, comedy festival that you know are very <laughs> good and um, and producing a lot of great performers who are who are often moving into stand up themselves. The improv is definitely a, it's a team sport, like it's one hundred percent team sport. Uh, which I found out when I tried to bring that kind of sledging uh, attitude that I have with my stand-up friends, where you sort of just belittle them and that's how you show that you like them. <laughs> I tried doing that a little bit in um, improv and just people were like, stop being mean. And I was like, I will stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 uh, I meant it as a bit and a joke. Uh, but uh, we can do other types of bits and jokes. Uh, that's cool too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what would you? What, how do you? What's your opinion of improv and stand up? Um, they're really, really different. Um, uh, <laughs> my other thing I got into uh, is uh, through through improv and before improv. Anytime a passing uh, person who who knew the slightest thing about um, uh, Ecole Gaulier. <laughs> Um, and, and clown, I would just like try to find out as much as I could. And then I've taken as many clown courses as I could to understand that too, um, because that, that fascinates me. That's, that's another beast uh, altogether. I think um, improv is like everyone in improv wants to, to have a good time and mostly they do. Uh, you can perform in an improv team in front of like an awful crowd that's giving you nothing. And then you've got the team um, and you all have that shared experience and you're like, oh, well, and it's much easier to brush things off and be positive. So improv is just, it's so positive, um, <laughs> which for a lot of standups is like the most annoying thing you could possibly have. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, ah. Oh, come on with your positivity uh but uh stand up being this sort of solo thing like um i don't know like a shark or something <laughs> like you're just you're out there trying to get what you can get and you just you know come back with your spoils as best as you can um everyone before a stand-up gig who's a stand-up is just like slightly nervous pretty much in their head if they are able to, you know, actually function as a person in the green room and be friendly, it's like the the exception to the rule. I've I've found I think after a set, sure they're like, <laughs> phew, it's gone that sort of tension. But you know, it's it's the mental game of like, okay, what is my set? How do I do that? And then that you know, constant thinking happens on stage, and then it's finally that relief once you once you're off stage. Depending on how you work, there's a lot of comedians that work with a very Im improvisational style uh, anyway. But uh, improv is a little bit of nervousness. It's not the same kind of nervousness. It's like an excited nervousness. It's like little puppies, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, 
stand-ups before a gig are more like I don't know uh, rattlesnakes <laughs> just kind of like you know slightly uh lashing out uh yeah or just uh or just trying to get themselves into that good mood somehow uh I found that for myself I found I needed to be in a kind of good mood in a good place whereas the improv you know that kind of comes quicker with, with clown is a mystery to me I don't know how that that really works that's um hmm. yeah so <laughs> I did a bit of Golio and I've done a bit of clowning there's yes. a lot of bad clowns and the bad Absolutely. clowning up there and I think <clears throat> doing the courses with some of the I think well, I'm not too sure <clears throat> you yeah, I think definitely see who's qualified. There's a big thing. Sure. In a well, the, the, people, the, the person I did um, did my first clowning course was um, Phil Burgers. Yeah, um, okay, fair enough. He's great. <laughs> which I was like, that was, I was like, that's that's why I I watched, I went to the Adelaide Fringe uh, that that year that he basically burst onto the scene and he started that show from nothing in the Adelaide Fringe and I uh, almost didn't believe it. And then I, people were saying, go see the show. So I went and saw the show and that was even more inexplicable of like how funny it was. I was like, I can't believe that someone could start with so little and be so funny um, just by nature of that particular show. Uh, he, he usually began it doing some things with just his hand outside of the, the curtain. And like, is he going to enter or is he not kind of, kind of thing. Um, which was the way he did it was just so funny. I'm like, how can someone literally be funnier in their little finger than I am with my entire body and all the knowledge and jokes that I can come up with? Like the crowds were just, you know, tears rolling down their faces. I'm looking around at I'm laughing just as much. I'm like, how did that happen? Where did that come from? Um, so I just started trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> And I think uh, I'm not, I don't think there are necessarily any natural clowns. People are good. It is hard work that you have to learn how to do. But my analytical uh, joke writery logical brain is not what you bring to the table uh, with clown. Um, it's uh, the physicality of things. I, it, I went through one course with uh, Zach Zucker of uh, Zach and Vigo. And... Um, I finally, I came to this amazing realization. I was like, oh, when we're doing this improvisational crazy movements on stage, this is, and then the audience is telling you if this is funny or not by laughing or not. Uh, this is what writing is in clown. This is clown writing. And I was so proud of myself to have that like mental analytical breakthrough. And I told Zach and he was like, yeah, whatever. You just need to stop thinking about this so much. Um, shut up and just be funny, <laughs> basically in a kind way. I'd love to bring an aspect of clowning into stand-up, um, you know, being able to be more physical, um, do those kind of things. Uh, yeah, um, in the last comedy festival, I got to do a little bit of that and try to explore with just, just being more a more physical stand-up comedian. Um, you know, the, the nature of uh, stand-up versus clown is, is um, is kind of different too because I think in clown you need to see the whites of the the audience's eyes. You need to like really um, 
at least while you're coming up with material to understand how people are reacting to you, you need to really gauge that response where stand-up, uh, pure stand-up, I guess, <laughs> you're much happier looking into a crowd of mostly darkness and just hearing and feeling um, how the crowd is and only picking on the odd sort of person one at a time um, rather than creating that kind of crowd uh, crowd monster that a cloud needs. But yeah. Um, have you, um, is that, I know you do um, magic in your stand-up or ma magic comedy and all that kind of thing. How does that world meld for you? Well, I'm not really a magician. It's just... Um... <clears throat> Well, I'm good. I'm good at being a knob on stage, and that seems to mm. be the stuff that seems to be the funniest stuff I do at the moment. I don't know when I fail at things, not just the magic, but other things. And I'm much more funny when I talk to or interact with the crowd than I'm doing straight stand up. And that's one mm. of the reasons why I went to go earlier because I did. A, I was way funnier at that, and I haven't complete. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I remember also in Goliath, um It was a stupid exercise, but. Um, they put a blindfold on me and they told me to just figure out what I was doing so <laughs> they put on a billboard or something and like they, they told me to move move different ways right and then I was closing my eyes and then as I was, I was walking up and down then we'll walk closer to the billboard where I almost smashed into it I noticed that they they, they were starting to laugh but I didn't know why so <laughs> I just kept on doing it, walking up and down, walking up and down. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then they just burst out laughing. It was really funny. <laughs> and then another moment, they wanted me to try and do a cow noise with my nose. <laughs> and I tried doing that, and it, comp it went well, <laughs> well as well. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the closest thing uh, in, like... The fact that I can't get my head around clown uh, in particular, uh, but also I can't get my head around a lot of things with comedy, uh, you know, with, with jokes, things that are funny. Um, a lot of the thing that I find the funniest, like a, a sketch that I think is really, really funny, you know, that I'll be like, sure, watch, you go watch this, this clip. Uh, the, the thing that makes me laugh the most is something that I can't explain. And I think that's a, the beautiful thing about, about comedy, um, that as analytical a mind as you can have, uh, in the end, it's like this weird fickle beast that like, you know, the audience is the one that tells you whether it's funny or not. So many times you're like, oh, this joke is gonna kill. Oh man, I'm so proud of myself that I, uh, <laughs> whatever, this joke, um, oh, it's gonna yeah. be so good. And then you try it out and you're like, it didn't work and then you're like well i'll try this this joke that i you know i said in the shower or i woke up at 2 a.m and scribbled down it doesn't make any sense and i'll say that you know it's just like oh that's great i had a bit that i did for ages called pizza shakespeare it was literally something i wrote down at 2 a.m and then the next day i was like what is pizza shakespeare i don't know and then i started <laughs> improvising ideas of what they could be on stage and the audience loved it and to this day i don't know what it was about my attempting to do pizza shakes did you record um, it that worked i i did record it um i used to i think 
it really was those early sparks. Um, I think as it became like more solidified, it got away from me. It wasn't quite as funny. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the surprise, the fact that comedy, a punchline always involves a surprise uh, of some kind. Um, when, a, when a comedian does a joke, you know, whoever it is, whether it's like uh, an open micer that you're watching or like one of your favorite comedians ever, and you as a comedian, I'm assuming a lot of comedians are the ones listening to this podcast, but as a comedian, you, you sort of have an idea of where the joke is going. And if the punchline is not that and it makes you laugh, uh, I think that's amazing. Like that's, you know, that's, that's, it's one of the best experiences that you can have. And, and the more uh, into comedy you get and the more jaded you become, the harder that is to find. Um, yeah, which is probably why I'm moving uh, so, so attracted to clown because um, mm. it is that weird, uh, harder drug. No, it is interesting. I, I think one of, and flip on top of what you said, what's the biggest BS quote that you often hear from comics on clowning and comedy? Like people say, oh, you've got to do a clean set. Oh, um, one of the common things people say to me as a comic, like your material has to be good. And it's always from the comics who are basically are as boring as my shit. So yeah. basically at least my shit comes in different shapes. Whilst they're just yeah. carbon clones of different people. You know, there's a lot yeah. of that I see in comedy and they say, this is how comedy works. If you don't follow this, you ain't a good comedian, you ain't this. And I don't like it. And I am the epitome of all that is comedy. I'm the judge and jury. I'm the king of the world sort of thing. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think <laughs> I found like when I moved to, to Melbourne that like uh, getting gigs became like this this kind of grind. Um, uh, in Adelaide, it's basically it's one guy that runs all the comedy uh, and then there's like maybe a, a couple other people that run other gigs um, once here and there, um, except when the, you know, fringe descends upon the city and there's like a thousand uh, gigs everywhere happening, competing with each other. <laughs> Apart from that one month, they call it Mad March, uh, although it's technically February. <laughs> um, the there's just like no gate, not many gatekeepers. Uh, <laughs> and then I moved to Melbourne and realized like, oh, actually I have to kind of meet and see a lot of people. And that aspect of comedy became very uh, hard for me to deal with. Uh, again, being undiagnosed <laughs> at the time. Um, I found like just running against, uh, just not even rejection, but just difficulty and the potential of <laughs> rejection. <laughs> was uh was enough for me uh but the idea that you need to be gigging all the time I think maybe the pandemic has let a lot of people go maybe that's not true maybe you can still be you know whatever you are um without having to constantly work um you know in that way I think um uh you know, I used to think like, okay, well, as long as you keep writing, then um, writing in all kinds of ways, that's what you need to do. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to a friend's uh, podcast who's a, who's a poet and she was talking about just not, not wanting to write and thinking the, the general advice of like, you must write every day or else you are not truly a writer. If you do not have the passion for writing every day, you, you, there's, you know, I think it's Rilke or something 
bigwig poet who says something like that. <laughs> and uh, she's like, nah, I don't feel like writing. The pandemic's like just messed with everybody for a while and we don't have to feel like it. So basically uh, my take on what is complete BS is whenever someone tells you you've got to keep doing this, you've got to do this all the time or else you're not whatever it is. Like I think you, know, you don't have to keep writing. You don't have to keep gigging. You can take a break. <laughs> you can be easy on yourself for a bit. Um, and also, does it does it matter? You know, <laughs> you know. If, so like, well, you can't call yourself a true comedian. It's like, well, who says? There's no there's no rule about that. Like there there are no rules in comedy. It's the whole thing of comedy is you stand up and you're like, there's no rules. You know. <laughs> people say that all the time especially when people say like the job is to be uh the job of a comedian is important definitely start like veering away from them as they talk <laughs> just back away slowly as, as they start to say that the, that a comedian is is important and that their voices are you know uh poet philosopher kings in this world um like there's an aspect where that's true of certain comedians Sure, but that's not comedians. Comedians are joke, jokers. They're you know, they're the the hat with the little bells on it. Um, you know, I'm in my in my current job doing a bit of uh, Shakespeare, and because I come, I have no acting for the, for the training, so it's a learning on the job, um, and learning about how Shakespeare used uh, the the clown. Um, you know. People go, ah, you see that Shakespeare's clowns, they're actually saying a lot of truth, but it's it's uh, veiled. Uh, that's the job of the comedian. It's like, well, if you really look at Shakespeare, it's dick jokes. Like, that's the job of the clown. <laughs> like, the job of the clown is to come out and make everyone laugh. Uh, however, that that works. Like, it's, it's you know, <laughs> and, and sometimes... Uh, you know, with meta comedy, you know, I don't know if you've got any meta comedians uh, on, on the on the list of upcoming interviews, but like, um, you know, the the Tim Heideckers of the world, the, the Neil Hamburgers, the job, and Jack Tucker, for instance, yeah, the job is actually not to make you laugh. The job is to make you uh, hate the comedian <laughs> and think that, that they suck and then laugh at how much they suck. <laughs> when it comes to meta comedy which is like so if anyone ever tells you that a comedian is something that's not true uh for every comedian you will be able to find mm. a, an exception to whatever rule about comedy anyone ever gives you um which isn't to say if you're just starting out like be like oh, i'm gonna throw out all the rules and <laughs> and be unfunny um go for it if you've got the uh <laughs> If you can get through the audiences, <laughs> go for know it. what they are, know what they are, and then then break them. Absolutely, yeah, but, absolutely. And that sounds like a very good hacker. Like a lot of the times, the hackers have to know something about you, or like they say, if someone wants to do an inside job on you, they have to be within the organisation. What are yep. we just letting for here today? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's been good. What what's um, so for anyone that wants to know about you, Chris, how do they get in touch with you? Is it on Tinder? Is it on um, Grinder? Is it on LinkedIn? What is it, mate? 
Um, it is uh, probably none of, none of that, those, uh, uh, luckily. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, which, which means like all my, uh, all my opening gear of like, hey, who's on the apps? Who's doing the swiping? You know, that's all. I uh, can't use any of that. Ah, damn. Uh, <laughs> is the worst. I hate that. <laughs> that hacky opening. Anyway, um, uh, look, I'm on, on Twitter at Topher Knight. I've, I've tried to get away from social media as much as I can. Uh, I'd say uh, look me up on Medium. I've written a few relatively funny articles uh, as Chris Knight. Uh, I understand that my name is, I went to school with a Chris Knight uh, with a different middle name. Uh, I've got a book uh, on my <laughs> bedside table that I'm about to read. It's about uh, an insane hermit who lived in the woods of Maine for 30 years. Uh, true story. Um, and his name is Chris Knight. There's a country western singer called Chris Knight. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, uh, I think the guy who played Peter Brady in the original Brady Bunch is called <laughs> Chris Knight. But anyway, uh, look me up on Medium. If you find someone who's funny on Medium, follow them, even if it isn't me. Uh, they're probably <laughs> to follow. Uh, what other plugs would I say? I'd say go see live comedy because we need you. Yes. We, need, we need audience members <laughs> at, this, at this point. Uh, safely uh, wear a mask if you can. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, and check out check out weird comedy. Um, the, the great thing about being in a festival kind of country like um, uh, yeah, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, Adelaide Fringe, all the festivals that are happening is that you can pay a relatively low amount of money to see something that you've never heard of and you might hate. It might be the worst hour of, of entertainment you've ever seen. Um, but it's worth it for like finding that one thing that's just like, oh my goodness, that's the funniest thing I've, I've ever seen. And it wasn't a big name act. Like just go to see independent acts and, and that kind of thing. Not necessarily for, um, you know, sure, it's, it's, <laughs> It's uh, moral and ethical to do <laughs> to support the little little people, um, but yeah, and see yeah, see diverse acts and diverse nights that are that are weird. Um, if you're a bit scared of that, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, see crazy weird stuff. Yeah. So guys, if you want to see someone who's carrying an axe and they got a comedy show, that's the show to go to. Okay. Yeah. Because then at least then. <laughs> you get something. <laughs> Look, if you get out of it alive, you've got a story, you know. <laughs> exactly, and that's how I mean, me that's... and Chris met. Okay, that's why he's still <laughs> here today because he laughed at I my did show. Do a show. I did do a show called uh, Wolf Creek the Musical, um, in which it was a you know a takeoff on <laughs> the serial killer um, movie. <laughs> but uh, that's it's tale for another time. <laughs> All right, guys. So if you want to find that, go to Wolf Creek, okay, as well. <laughs> now, it's been a pleasure, uh, guys. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you see great value in this, share it with your friends. Um, give us a fantastic review on Amazon or iTunes. Don't give us a shit one, please. <laughs> uh, but also, just give private message in terms of the feedback. Also, um, yeah, but the most important thing, make sure you subscribe and join in this, this journey with me. And also, um, oh, you can come and watch one of my comedy shows on instantlaughs.com. Take care, guys. <laughs>